the written word of the living God. The Father's love letter to his people. All of it was spirit-breathed. Through it, he wants to reveal his love for you. Will you seek him? Will you come to him just as you are and let him speak life over you? All right, good morning. Uh, let me add my Happy New Year to you. I hope uh, you had a good holiday uh, season and ready to uh, kind of get things cranked up here. We are starting a new series today, The 40 Days in the Word, and we've been talking about that for several weeks, getting prepared for it, so we're kind of launching it today. Going to give you an overview of, of what we're doing, but I uh, appreciate Damien last week for kind of setting the foundation for what we were going to be doing and some of the the values of the Word of God, and I uh, appreciated him filling in last week. I got a chance to go back and see my kids and my grandkids back in Indiana last week. Maybe you know three of my four kids live back there, and my four grandkids, and, and so we had, uh, we had a great time together. But it's good to be home, and I'm excited about 2019, about where we're going to be headed. I think this is going to be an exciting journey. I'm convinced that this, this has the chance to dramatically change our lives individually and even change us as a fellowship, as a church. Uh, as we jump in, hopefully with both feet, when, when it comes to uh, learning how to, to derive from the, the Word of God what He has for us. And so um, today we're going to start off in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's a scripture that's, uh, that's kind of our catalyst, kind of our launching point. And as usual, we've got some Bibles. You might have noticed a, a little different look. Uh, we're going to we're, we've introduced some, uh, some, some just kind of new graphics and everything, but our, our notes are going to be on one sheet like this. They're not going to be in our life together. Uh, if you want a life together, those are available. You may have got those as you were uh, coming in, but you'll get those separately. Uh, there'll be a separate sheet. So we're kind of introducing it other ways. If you haven't ever downloaded our church app, I encourage you to do that because everything that we do, our notes, our announcements, our events, all those kinds of things, sign-ups can all... Um, you can be uh, doing that through the church app if you'll just download that. So looking forward to that. We, um, we are starting this. We, we are going to spend the next six weeks uh, just zeroing in. Many of our ministries, our groups, everything is aligned toward this. And as I said, if you, if you apply yourself to this, I think your life can, can be really dra- dramatically changed. We're going to be doing four things to help support uh, this journey together. Let me share with you what they are. Our, our life groups are going to be working through a workbook that we've made available. I guess uh, we went through our first 500, and now we're on our next 300. And so if you haven't had a chance to get one, you can go out the door this side, back in the little cove, and they're still available. You can pick these up. I think they're $5. And uh, this is what we're going to be working through in our life groups. They're going to go, there's going to be a lesson each week um, of a video nature. Um, we, uh, we will kind of hold each other accountable, work together, putting into practice the things that we're learning in that setting. 
We've got a lot more groups and a lot more folks that are getting involved in groups. It's pretty exciting. Some of our groups are swelling, including my own. I know that uh, folks are kind of enfolding into there, and we're looking for hosts, and, and uh, we, we hope this might even be something that's going to expand our life group ministry, so look forward to that. Second thing is there is a, a daily devotional that I want to encourage you to tap into. The way you do that is to go online to 40ditw.com, 40daysintheword.com, and when you get there, you're going to see a page that looks a little bit like that, and down that bottom left-hand corner, uh, just click on that, and each day there's going to be a devotional. It will be built on the scriptures uh, that we're talking about uh, in our workbooks, also some of the stuff on the weekend, and, uh, and then the third area that we're going to reinforce this is through scripture memory, all right? I, I, usually I get oohs and ahs then, like I can't memorize scripture, I know that, I've heard that. You can remember what you want to remember though, you really can. And it's not gonna be that difficult and I think you're, you're gonna see some great value and you're gonna be introduced to your first one this week uh, to begin to devote it to, to memory. We're gonna have six verses that hopefully by the end you'll, you'll have uh, committed to memory. Uh, so we'll be teaching you through that. And then the last thing is, is the weekend messages. Uh, they're, not, they're not going to be the same as, as going through your workbook, but they're going to be supporting that. And I want to give you an overview over the next six weeks of where we're going. We're going to be talking about the foundation of the Word of God. What is its purpose? What does it say itself, why it was given to us, and, and what is it valuable for? We're going to talk, to talk about illumination and how can you see what God has for you out, out of the word? How, how do you train your eyes, spiritual eyes, to be able to detect what God is, is saying to you? And then a very important week, we're gonna talk about interpretation. Have you ever gotten into a conversation with somebody and say, well, that's just your interpretation of the Bible? Well, how do we do that? As far as I know, we've never taught overtly on how to uh, practice uh, certain um, methods of interpretation. How do we get to the true meaning uh, of the text? We're going to talk about integration and how you use the Word of God in your family, in your vocation, in your finances. How does it integrate into your life? Because all of this is about practicing the Word. And then finally, the application. This is the last week we're going we're to talk about what what it does to impact every aspect of our lives, decision-making, uh, struggles, challenges, uh, temptations, uh, you know, all those kinds of things. So it's gonna be a fun journey, and I hope you'll commit to, I really do, I hope you'll commit to be here every week for this. I know our group made an adjustment. We typically were every other week, but we're gonna meet every week as we walk through this together, so we're making some adjustments like that, and so um, hopefully uh, you'll be all, all in uh, as we go down this journey together. Would you agree that the Bible is a very unique book? Have you come to that understanding of just how different and unique it is? Did you know that it, it is a book most read than any other book in all of history? It's more interpreted than any book that's ever been written, and the Bible has sold more copies than any book ever written. There is something very, very special about it. And you know, when we, when we say, and we, most of us here believe, we call it God's word. That in and of itself says something, doesn't it? It's God's word. That's easy for you and me to say. But other folks are gonna, are gonna take issue with that, and they're gonna challenge you with this regularly. And, the, and that, in fact, is gonna be one of the first areas that they challenge us is who said that that's God's word? How do you know that it can be trusted? How do you know that it's true? 
I mean, and when they look at things and they see the story and they think like that. I was in a conversation this week um, with an individual and we were just kind of taking some, some small steps, you know, toward a relationship and uh, became clear that he had some background, you know, with the church and with, with the things of God and, and would claim to be a believer. When I said, you know, are you involved in the church? Are you, you involved anywhere? And he said, no. And the first thing he mentioned, he says, I just don't know that I can believe that all of humanity came from one man, Adam. And I thought, wow, isn't this interesting? That, that's the one obstacle that has uh, kind of, I don't want to say tripped him up, but, but has, has uh, you know, he's kind of hanging on to. What would you do if you were in that conversation? Would you know how to respond to that? And so the scripture that's kind of our launching point, 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to glance at it at the top of your notes or if you open your Bibles up uh, today to chapter 3 of Timothy, Paul says these words. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay? Now, we're going to be talking about the latter part of that verse uh, down the road a bit, okay? But the one I want you to see today is that first part. All Scripture is God-breathed. That's quite a statement. That's quite a claim. When you say it's God-breathed synonymously, you're saying it's inspired by God. That's what we usually say. Oh, it's, it's, it's inspired. People will say, well, it's just a book written by men. You ever heard that? And, and therefore, why would we trust it? It's just, it's just man's opinion about something. No, that says it's God-breathed. Uh, literally in the Greek there, it says theos pneumos. Theos means God, pneumos is called spirit or breath. It's what that's derived from. So, so if you think about it, just, just let that soak in a bit. Right now, you're listening to can-breathe words. So, and, and literally, there is breath that is coming, uh, going over my vocal cords right now that are creating words that you're hopefully understanding and that they're not too complicated. But right now, the, it's the breath that is creating those words. And what this is saying, it is God's breath that is going over, uh, and, and just use this as an analogy. It's not to vocal cords, it's authors or it's, it's, it's instruments of God in his hand. And as those, as those words come out, they are not those men. Those are just instruments. It is God who is breathing those words. And yet people will take shots and say, well, how can you trust that? How do you know that? That's what we want to talk about today. And I'll tell you something, friends. I don't know if there's any more pertinent, more, more valuable, um, more relevant area for us as believers to train and to be equipped in than this area because more of your conversations are going to be along these lines. It's one of the first things, like my, my friend this week that I talked to, that's one of the first things that they're going to send is an objection. And if, and if we're not equipped of what to say or what to do in those settings, uh, you're going to find that our witness is going to be weakened. Would you agree? So I, I really encourage us to pay attention, allow the Lord to speak to us today, and to equip us not only to build your faith regarding in the Word, that's what this message about, all the others we're going to talk about, the foundation, the illumination, the inspiration, all the, today is inspiration. Today is just to get you fired up to know that the Word of God is worth our investment, it's worth our devotion, it's worth our study. And uh, so let's pray, not only for today, but for the weeks that are coming, and ask the Lord to, to just be at the center of it all, okay? Father, thank you uh, for the word that you've given us. We thank you for 
for not leaving us uh, to our own to kind of grapple in the dark, but you've given us light through that very word. Jesus, we know that you are the word of God and that we understand who God is and we understand his ways uh, by looking to you and by allowing your spirit to occupy our lives and our hearts and our minds even. I do pray, Father, that uh, these days will be rich and that they will be uh, transforming, that those that are just beginning to take some early steps in their Christian walk are going to find this as a defining moment for their journey. And even for those of us that have been in the way for quite some time, that this is, this is kind of gonna jumpstart our faith uh, in new territories that we couldn't even begin to imagine. That's what I'm asking you for. We look forward to just a, a great journey together, and so we want you to be at the center. Our eyes are on you, Lord, and we look to what you want to do through us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, what, what we want to do today is pretty straightforward. We're going to walk through seven reasons why we can trust the Bible, seven, seven areas that we can just consider. Obviously, just going to kind of scratch the surface on these, but I want to give you enough scripture, enough equipment, enough, enough to think about so that when these issues come up, you're going to know what to do or you're, you're going to be prepared or equipped in, um, in how to address those. So let's, let's get start, started on this. The first one of those has to do with its historical accuracy. The Bible is historically accurate. Uh, it is not just doctrinally accurate, not just theologically, not moral or ethically. It's, it's, it's wonderful in all those areas. But oftentimes we diminish the historical accuracy of the word of God. But it is accurate. And why is this important? Think about this. Hebrews 6.18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. So that if you read something in the word of God that happened a long time ago and it didn't happen then the validity of the whole testimony of the Word of God would, would basically be gone, wouldn't it? Just one lie would diminish the truth that God is, is that the whole Word is true. All Scripture is God-breathed, and therefore is all true. A couple of passages uh, reference that you look here. Obviously, uh, you see the first one there in Hebrew, but the other one says, for the Word of the Lord is upright. Uh, one of the versions says it is right and it is true, okay? And all of his work is done in faithfulness. So when God sets up something, when God sets up, for, for example, when he sets up a law, let's take the law of gravity. The law of gravity is always at work. It doesn't work on Tuesdays and Thursdays, right? It doesn't work when it's convenient for that law to work. It is always true. This is the nature of what he's saying about the word of God. It is always accurate, it is always true. Whatever God says, that's, that's the way it is because God's the one who brought it into being. He's the one who brought it into existence. He knows it, he knows the beginning from the end. And it's for us to, to, to kind of get lined up with what God has said is true. So when it comes to, to history, if an event is said to have happened, it has to have happened because God cannot lie. And what's interesting is, over time, you find that, that history becomes valid predominantly because of eyewitnesses, correct? Isn't that, where we, isn't that the best evidence of, of a historical fact, is a person was actually there and saw that? Did you know that the Bible is primarily written by eyewitnesses? Moses was actually at the Red Sea when it parted. 
Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho came, came tumbling down. The disciples were in the room when Jesus showed up in his resurrected form. And they wrote that down. They said, this is what happened. So it is predominantly eyewitnesses. Now, there are some cases where those witnesses shared with others and it, and the, it, it spread. But, uh, but as you see the, the historicity and the accuracy of that, that's why over even the 1600 years that the Bible was written, Uh, Most of that is recorded by eyewitnesses. You've got archaeological evidence, you know, things that happen. And sometimes there's there's cases where people say, oh, well, that couldn't have happened, or it didn't happen that way, or no. And then many years later, because of of what we discover through archaeology, it only lends to support exactly what the Bible has said. This is happening all the time uh, through the evidence uh, that is there. But one thing you may not appreciate when it comes to the scriptures and what we receive today and how it came to be, the 66 books of the Bible and how they were collected and how, how they were um, passed on from generation to generation, well, the scribes who wrote down those words were under an unbelievably stringent code or, or criteria of how they would copy those, those accounts. If it was up to us, you know, there'd be little tweaks and, and little uh, uh, additions and, and other things. They didn't allow that. They didn't just scrutinize word by word. They scrutinized letter by letter to the point where they would literally count the number of letters. And so if there was a copy, I, trusted one of, I would trust one of those scribes copy more than I would a Xerox copy. I mean, it was so meticulous so that the account was accurate. And so it's trustworthy, the history is trustworthy. The second thing kind of related to that is scientifically it is accurate. Uh, and I know, you know, we live uh, in an area where we have a lot of, and I'll call them scientists, more so engineers, but the scientific kind of mindset, mathematicians, those that are into the facts. Wouldn't you agree that that's kind of our culture around here uh, in particular? And we have a lot of conversations with folks that they run up against something and say, well, you know, maybe that the Bible is, is more about myths or about legends or fables and things like that. It's not really scientifically accurate. And I'm not going to disparage scientists. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna make this blanket assumption, you know, that all of them are anti-biblical because that's not the case. But what I will say is this. The Bible is not a science book text. It's not written in scientific language. But there is no bad science in the Bible, okay? Everything that God records in this book is true. And what happens often is, is that that truth that maybe he's recorded from our perspective and from our lens, it doesn't match up with what we believe maybe science to support. But have you found out that science has a way of changing over time? Do you think that, uh, you think they're still using the same science textbook uh, that I used in the third grade? Or you used in the third grade? Probably not, why? Because there's new discoveries, there's, there's new things that are happening. And here's the truth. The truth is God has set up all of these laws of the universe. So if he sets, for example, up the laws of physics, you're gonna find that sometimes it takes man a little while to catch up the truth that God understands because he sees it from his perspective from the beginning to the end and time doesn't make a difference to God. Can I give you a, a really clear example of this? 
How long do you think that people believe that the earth was flat? And if you talked and had a conversation with somebody, they would say, oh, that's just a fact. The earth is flat. This is why Christopher Columbus was such a hero, because he thought that when he went off on his ship, he was gonna go off the other end, end of the edge of the earth, right? And so, so this was just the common held truth. That to them was truth. But did you know that 2,600 years ago in the scriptures in Isaiah, and I put that reference in there, I think this is an important one. Isaiah says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and it's his inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. The circle of the earth, you know what he's saying is? The earth is a sphere. This is 2,600 years ago. And so that's God's truth. It just took us a little while to catch up. Do you understand? That's just an example. Another belief that was, that's been held for thousands of years up to a certain point is that the earth had to be held up by something. It had to be held by something. And so whole cultures would, would, would have their own versions of what's holding it up. If you were in the Greek world, they believed that there was a god that held this a giant that held this earth up. Do you know what his name was? Atlas. You seen the pictures of him, you know, holding, holding the earth? That's what they believed. If you were Hindu, you believed that elephants hold it all up. And, uh, and when the elephants would move, that's what caused earthquakes. Think about this, that was their truth. Think about this, Moses, was trained as well as anybody in the known world at that time under Pharaoh's household. He was more knowledgeable and skilled and trained than probably anybody could have possibly been. And in Egypt, the belief was is that the earth was held up by pillars. And here's what I want you to hear really closely. God's word is God breathe. He used instruments to write them. If it was man that wrote this book, man would have implemented his own thought of the day of the, the science and the culture of the day. So if anybody was going to insert that the belief today is, is it's held up by pillars, you would have seen that reflected in Moses' writing. But do you notice there's nothing like that in the scripture. There's nothing in the earth, or nothing in the scripture says the earth was flat. There's nothing implying that it's held up by anything. But what does the scripture say? In Job, which is the oldest book that we have, okay, it's not chronological, you know, you think, well, Genesis might be, no, it doesn't work that way. Job is probably the oldest book we have. Listen to what Job says. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and he hangs the earth on nothing. How do they know that? How would they know that? They didn't go up in space and figure this out. They knew it because it's God breathed. It's there, it's right there in front of us. Going back thousands of years. It just took us a little while to catch up to it, okay? So it's just, uh, I mean this could go on and on. Um, you know, stuff, stuff t has a way of changing and we see that all of the time. Think about the medical world and the laws that God has in that, in that area, what he says to be true. Uh, I was just thinking about a visit I had just a few weeks ago when I went to the doctor. I've, I've got a bad knee. I don't know if I ever told you that, but blew it out in high school, my last uh, high school football game of my career, if you want to call that a career. Um, and, and I blew out my ligaments and everything else. And back then, they, uh, 
they did an operation. I have an incision probably a, a foot long. I was in a cast my senior year of high school with up to the top of my hip to the tip of my toe, nine weeks during my senior year of high school. Do you know how they would do that today? Uh, it would be done as an outpatient. I was in the hospital for seven days. Now today it would be an outpatient, and there would be two little uh, marks where they go in and they do it orthoscopically and they can and repair. And it, you just, I just thought, wow, how far we've come just in that short time. And the differences and the changes. Back in the Bible, back in Leviticus, it talks about some, some truths about who we are and how we've been made. And there was a period for a long time where people believed that disease and, and uh, other sicknesses came from too much blood in your body. Did you know that? And therefore, what was the solution? Bloodletting. They said, okay, you're sick, let's just you know, let it go. And then you go back to Leviticus that was written a long time ago, and it says, no, the blood is actually your life. And so now we find ourselves not letting it out, but oftentimes infusing or transfusing that blood because that is our life. Just example after example, how, how scientifically uh, it supports what God has said is true. It's usually up to us to kind of figure out how that is going to um, manifest itself. Here's a third one. It is prophetically accurate, so that if it predicts something to happen in sometime in the future, it's gonna happen that way. There are thousands of prophecies, and when you look at them one by one, some of those have already been fulfilled, many of those have been fulfilled, hundreds, if not thousands of those. There are still some to be fulfilled, but when you talk about God's word, if he says this is going to happen and this is the way it's going to happen, you can count on that. That is trustworthy. And if we just, if we just narrowed it down to Jesus, there are eight, uh, 108 specific prophecies, we call them messianic prophecies, written hundreds of years before Jesus ever came, okay? Some of them a 1,000 years before and they spell out specifically where he was gonna be born, how he was gonna be born, the circumstances all surrounding that. And by the way, friends, you don't have a whole lot to say about that, do you? So if somebody says, oh, well, he just learned what they said and then he fulfilled them, you can't fulfill where you're gonna be born or how you're gonna be born. That's just an example, how he was gonna die. And you've probably heard me mention the name before, but uh, Peter Stoner is a mathematician in Southern California. He finally got this notion to do some uh, just kind of research of what would be the odds of one man fulfilling just eight of those 108 prophecies, just eight of them. And he came to the conclusion it was 10 to the 17th power. That means 17 zeros following that, that 10. That's just for eight of them. Can you even imagine what 108 would be? Okay? So <laughs> it takes more faith to... to to not believe that Jesus is the Christ than it is to believe if you really are honest with the evidence that's right there before you. Psalm 22, David talks about the crucifixion and he spells out this, this just detail, hanging on the tree and, and a lot of the things that, that went through when Jesus was actually dying on the cross at Calvary. Crucifixion wasn't even a word 
It wasn't even a form of execution at that point. That didn't come to many years later. I believe it was in about 600 BC that the Assyrians actually first thought of it. The Romans took it to a whole other level. But in, in Jesus' culture, even for the Messiah, a Jewish man, the Messiah, to be executed, he would have invariably been done the way that they did it for pretty much the whole time, and that's stoning. They throw you into a pit, they get a rock, and they throw it until you die. Jesus was not stoned to death. He was crucified because of the nature of the Roman emperor and the and empire and the, the oppression that was going on, and they had to go through that means. So for the scripture, a thousand years before it happened, to spell out something that hadn't even been invented yet or thought of yet, and to see it specifically spelled out. That's what we're talking about. And friends, that is repeated dozens and dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of times. It is prophetically accurate. You can trust that. Listen to what Jesus himself says. He says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, all this has happened to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in Scripture. And so they recognized these are the things that God said were going to happen, and this is exactly the way that it, it's happening. Okay? Here's the fourth one. Thematically, the Bible is unified like no other book. Um, you, you, I don't know if you ever thought of this or not, but there it really is no other book like the Bible because it's not one book. There are 40 different authors spanned over 1,600 years, three continents, three different languages, and they all are pointed toward the very same theme. They are unified, and if I was to, to capture or summarize that theme, it is the redemption plan of God. That is the theme of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And I don't know if you've ever appreciated how amazing this is, that you could get 40 different people from different cultures and backgrounds and eras. I mean, you had princes and you had priests and you had kings and you had peasants and prophets, different people. Some of them wrote from prison. Some of them wrote from palaces. I mean, all over the place, all across the board, and yet they're all saying the same thing. It is God's plan of redemption from the beginning to the end. And the star of the, of the whole thing is Jesus. Because he himself, he said this. He says, look at the scriptures. He says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all scripture, the things concerning himself. So everything in the Old Testament pointed toward Jesus and then everything during the Gospels revealed this and then subsequently is how the Holy Spirit was going to carry out from that point on. And so you see this, uh, this unity. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. The scriptures bear witness about me. And so you see this unity all throughout, and it, it just really, um, you know, is amazing. Uh, I, I thought of this analogy. If I had a piece of paper up here right now, and I just started tearing it into pieces, and I had 50 pieces of paper, and I handed it out to you, and you just started shaping, I said, just shape it in any shape that you want. And then I collected all those 50 pieces, and I got a table, and I laid them out. What would the odds be that those pieces of paper would all fit together perfectly into the 50 states of the United States? Pretty slim, right? 
And yet that's, that's kind of what we're saying of getting 40 different authors from these backgrounds to essentially have one map, one theme, and that is Jesus Christ. They're all saying the same thing. That is God breathed because there's only one source. There's only one source. And so as you see this unfold, now you're gonna kind of zero in a little bit more. That fifth uh, thing I wanted to see is the scripture, the word of God is confirmed by Jesus. You can trust it because Jesus refers to the rest of the word and he is trusting it and he is supporting it. He's acknowledging and, and endorsing, if you will, all right? Think of it that way. I have met a few folks, maybe you've had these conversations. I've met a few folks, I call them red letter Christians. And somehow they got the notion that they're only gonna believe the words that Jesus spoke. Because all the rest of them are just men. Jesus is separate from all the rest of them. Therefore, only his words are valid. All the rest are just words written by men. The problem with that is Jesus himself, the Son of God, refers to all those other words. And he acknowledges them and he believes them. And so as you look at at that unfolding, he says, for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law and all of its, um, all of its, 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 uh, uh, oh, I lost my place there. Yeah, you see it. (laughs) You were there before I got there. Um, I, I, I I wanted to get this right because because when Jesus in his teaching includes certain subjects about the scriptures, the Old Testament, there are certain stories that he refers to. Uh, He refers to Adam, for example, as being the first man. Jesus refers to uh, uh, the, the, the flood and Noah. Jesus refers to Moses. Jesus refers to Jonah and the well. He says, He says, my resurrection is gonna be like Jonah, three days in the belly of the well. And we knew he was in the grave for three days. And what I found interesting, in fact, this was like a light bulb that went on just this week. I thought, isn't it interesting that in my conversations that those are the very things that people choose to take shots against the word of God? They say they can't believe it. The conversation I had this week was with somebody who said, I just can't believe all humanity came from one man. Uh, how many of you have ever had a conversation where they took shots at Jonah and the whale? <laughs> that has to be just a fable. That, that's too fantastic. That's too impossible to even, even comprehend. Therefore, the whole thing is, is, uh, is not valid. Well, if Jesus confirmed that, what does that say? If Jesus knew that that actually happened, don't you think Jesus would have told us? He wouldn't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And so those things really happen, and he's confirming that. And, and so that kind of ushers me into the sixth point, and that is the attacks that the Word of God has come from. I find it amazing. There's no other book like it. You know, when you, one of the other ones that might be even comparable up there would be the Quran, right, of Islam, the next largest of the religions. One man wrote that book. One man, Muhammad. Uh, and so the, all the things we just described would not apply to that book. It's just one person and one person's thoughts or whatever. But here you've got 40 different people combining and, and there is something special to the point where whole nations 
have a prohibition of that book being found within its borders. Even to the point where some people die because of their commitment and devotion to this book. Why would that be so if it was just, you know, uh, a a book written by men? Why Why would they care so much if there wasn't something inherently supernatural about it as the living word of God? Even today, friends, that might sound like something from hundreds of years ago. No, right now there are countries where if you get caught with the word of God, your life would be in peril. And um, there are, this book has been debated and dissected and, uh, and, and you know, diminished in every single way imaginable, and yet it has survived over all of these years. So that, guys, do you realize how special it is that we can go to our, our Bibles, where we can hand out Bibles each week, make them available for you to go into the Word of God? Just how special is that? Um, I think the bottom line is today, and the last thing I would just pass on to you is that the Bible has this unique power to transform our lives like nothing else. Jesus said, if it abides in you, if my words abide in you, uh, you are truly my disciples. You'll know the truth, and that truth will set you free. There is nothing like the Bible that can change our life. Nothing. I've had conversations with individuals, and when I start off on, on, a, on just a relationship and, and they're just beginning to search out the things of God, I found it amazing last night. Uh, we had kind of a slim crowd. There was a game going on last night, and uh, I imagine there were a few football fans. And so, so we just kind of plowed through and you know, the Lord just always amazes me, but there was a brother that was sitting back here. He'd never been to church before. And, and he just wanted to take these first steps, and he came up boldly. I, was, I said, man, that took a lot of courage to not only just come to a church, but to come up and talk. And he said, everything you talked about th- tonight, he said, those are the very things that I have wrestled with, I've struggled with. And it's just like, wow, you, you just like knew, knew what I needed to hear and, and wants to begin to take these steps. That's the power of the Word of God. I've talked to folks, and you probably have have done this like I have, where they're just beginning that step, and you're saying the first thing you want to do is start opening your Bible. I've talked to uh, guys that I've gotten in a relationship that were incarcerated, and so I wasn't going to be able to be there to disciple and to just be right by their side. And one of the first things I said, get a Bible from your chaplain and go to the Gospel of John, because I know that when they start opening the Word, there is something supernatural that will start speaking to their heart. I don't care what they've done, but when God starts speaking to you, a light starts shining and it exposes the truth about who you are. That's why he says you'll know the truth about you. And then when that truth comes out, I gotta be honest, it doesn't feel very good to start with. There's a biblical word, it's called conviction. And it doesn't feel good, but it, it, it drives you to the point where you have to do something and you come to terms with God and allow his spirit to forgive you of those sins so that he can cleanse you and justify you from that guilt and that shame and set you right. And I have watched addicts be delivered. I've watched abusers uh, become kind. I've watched uh, just miracle after miracle and it all comes back down to the power of the word of God, doesn't it? He has the power to change us. Don't know what your challenge is today, what your need is, but here's my ask today. This is our application. 
Everything we've talked about, you know, I don't know if it makes sense to you or not, or if you believe it, I presume most of you do, because this probably isn't a lot of new news to you, but there's a few of you in the room this morning that may have walked in, and you haven't settled this issue of what is the true authority of your life. What is the truth? Or is everything up for grabs? And you're gonna probably come down to one of two choices. You're gonna either have some external uh, body of truth, and in this case, we're talking about the Word of God, or you have set yourself up as that authority. You're that authority. It's how you feel. It's about your experience, about what you think to be right. And I just have to challenge you, friends, that if that's the truth, if that's the case where you're at, there's a very good chance that you're going down a path and you're finding yourself going, going up against uh, obstacles, and, and it's not an easy path. You don't have a tailwind behind you because only, only until we recognize that the Lord himself and his word is the true authority in our life will we find peace and will we find contentment. Paul said in Romans, don't be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you're gonna know what God's will is, his perfect, his pleasing will. Would you like that? This is where it's gonna be found. I hope you'll join us in this journey. I, again, I'm gonna say it again, it's gonna be a life-changing journey. And if, if you'll uh, apply it, you're only gonna get so much out of it as you put into it, but if you'll get connected with a group and you'll, you'll be here each week, you know, to, to just as we challenge through the message and the word, uh, I think when we get to the end of this, there's going to be some pretty amazing things happening. Don't you agree? The Word of God's pretty special. Don't you agree with that? Amen. Amen. I want you to stand with me. We're going to uh, close with a, a song today, but I want to pray first. And just as you're doing that, I want to point out, you might have thought I forgot it, but no, we got a scripture memory verse for you. And it's that last verse there, and it just says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Can you remember that? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. That's a pretty easy verse to remember. John 3.16, Colossians 3. I mean, everything about it. This is, this is the first one, all right? And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna test you next week. So if you're not here, I'll know why you're not here. You didn't do your homework, right? <laughs> Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, let's, uh, let's commit this to the Lord today. Father, thank you so much for uh, what you've provided for us everything that we need to live a godly life. And that especially includes your word and the truth that is found in its pages. Father, I pray especially for some of the friends that are here that are just starting this journey, uh, just starting to take the steps of learning about you and your ways. And maybe up to this point, they'd be de de dependent upon somebody else like myself or other teachers uh, to kind of guide them in that way. Uh, and Lord, the time is now for us to take that responsibility on to grow up and to begin to glean from the word and to, to be able to digest it and to learn from it and grow from it on our own. And so these next several weeks are gonna be critical. I think for some, these are gonna be defining moments in their spiritual life. But we wanna confess to you, Lord, today, you are the source of it all. You are the truth, the life and the way. We believe, God, you, you are the foundation of which all of this is built upon, and today we, we want to build our life upon that solid rock. 
So uh, hear our prayer. If there's a person in the room that has not made that uh, known to you before, if they've never confessed their sin to you or, or just desired to enter into a relationship with you, maybe today's that day that they'll do it, just opening their heart up and inviting you to come in. God, continue to work through us and, and uh, just, uh, just guide our path in the days and the weeks uh, that are ahead. We commit this to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. amen.